People of God, would you please join me in prayer this morning? Let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we come to you, Lord. Many of us because we're excited. Some of us because we're afraid. A lot of us, we don't really know why, but we know that you call us into this place. You call us into this, this house of yours, this sanctuary where there is safety, where we can be heard, we can share. And we know, Lord, that you are with us. We know of the promises of your Son. And we know the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and in our neighborhood, in our neighborhoods, in our family. And so as we come to you, Lord, as you've already called us in, Father, we pray that as your Spirit is at work in this space, in our hearts and our minds, that we would be open to that. Open to the words that you have for us this morning. Whether they're words to comfort us, whether they're words to challenge us, or whether they're words to push us to where we need to be pushed, Lord, we know you're at work. And we hear your words this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. If you want to join with me to uh, turn to Galatians 3, 15 through 22, it's on page 824 or it's on the screens behind me. Hear these words. Brothers and sisters, let's, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as one can, uh, no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then then it no longer depends on a promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. The words of the Lord. You know, I gotta, I'm going to be honest with you. It's kind of a confusing passage. 
if I'm going to be honest at first glance. It's, it's one of those passages we read about in the Bible where you're like, man, you almost need a special degree, maybe like a master's of something, of like div- divinity or something to understand that. And even someone who has that sometimes doesn't fully get everything that's going on sometimes. But I think, you know, today... I want us, I want to, let's encourage, be encouraged that we're here together. We're here to understand God's words for us. What these words that were written down, you know, a little less than 2,000 years ago, what they, in, in, in a part of the world that's now Turkey, what does that have to do with us? You know, Americans, people living in America, living in Portland, it's a very different time and place. So we're going to have a different culture, and we're going to explore that together this morning. Um, and, but I think one of the things that this, bu- that this passage, although it's got some weird and it's logic and it's kind of going through a crazy, it, it, it reinforces the theme, the main theme that Paul has been talking about. In our series, we're looking through the book of Galatians to this letter written by the Apostle Paul, this church planter from about 2,000 years ago. We're, uh, he's writing this down to these group of churches in the area known as Galatia, you know, what we would see as modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to these churches, and he's reminding them of the gospel, of what they need to know as Christians, what he thinks is important, what he thinks, what he feels, and he senses that they're giving up and what they're taking on, what they're adding to the gospel, the culture that they're trying to fit into. You know, I heard this, I've, I've heard this joke um, actually a few times recently, but um, I have a joke. Actually, oh man, the first rule, one of the first rules I learned in preaching was you're not supposed to tell jokes, but I'm going to do it anyway. So there's this joke where, you know, one fish swims up to the next person and be like, oh, the water's pretty nice today, right? And the other fish goes, what's water? Right? Okay, it's, you're allowed to laugh. It's, thank you. Okay. Um, no, so it's, it's not a funny joke, but it's one of these jokes where you're like, yeah, why would a fish know what water is, Right? What is water to a fish, right? It just, it just is what it is. In the same way, you know, for a long time, nobody really knew that there's this concept that we might have of air, of oxygen, of, you know, oxygen and nitrogen, everything that's in the air around us, you know, depending on where you're at, the smog and all that. There was no concept, right? You, you can't grab a hold of it. There's nothing there, right? Seemingly nothing there. For those of us, when we, when we live our life, we don't think often about the oxygen in the room, the air in the room. We don't have to think about that because it benefits us. And I think that that's something that, we, that reminds us, and we're going to talk a little bit later about, it has a lot to say about culture and the culture we all live in, the culture that we participate in every day, and how sometimes... Some of us are very aware of that culture, like a fish out of water dealing with the air that you and I don't normally think about. Sometimes uh, some of us feel very aware of that, and others, we don't think about it at all. So let's, we're gonna, let's talk about this passage. So Paul, he's clearly pointing out to these Galatians. These Galatians that have been, these, these Gentile Christians, these Greek Christians, um, the, the, the Galatian Christians that have 
preachers coming to their church from different places all around the Christian world at that time, the Roman world at that time. And so you got these, you probably got preachers coming in from Israel, these Jewish Christians, and they're, you know, spouting off all their fancy knowledge, all their nice theological terms that they learned in Hebrew school and Torah school back in the day. And these Galatians are starting to, like, starting to envy that. Like, ooh, I like that. I want that. And, and maybe, you know, there's more, they're inviting even more of these preachers to come in to talk to them in their church. And, and these preachers are getting even more like, hey, well, you know, maybe if you really want to be a good Christian, just become a Jewish person. Follow this law. And not just the law, not just the Ten Commandments. Anybody can follow that. How about all these other rules that tell you, like, what you should eat, what you should wear, that a beard looks good on guys, and, and that you shouldn't shave parts of your head. Like, that's what you should follow. That's going to make you a super-duper Christian. And that's what really God wants for you. And Paul's writing this letter, and he is, he's, he's, he's mad. He's calling the Galatians foolish, which, you know, for us sounds like not a big deal, but I imagine, because, because in other letters, Paul uses some colorful language, that that's not a very nice name to call them, right? And, and Paul's, he's, he's getting angry, and he's getting to the point of his, of his whole letter of why these Galatian Christians are being so foolish, why they're being so foolish in the first place. And it's because of this problem surrounding the law. The law, right? When we talk about the law, sometimes we talk about the Ten Commandments. Or we sometimes talk about when Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments. You know, what are they? Love God. Love your neighbor, right? And a lot of these Jewish Christians, they're coming around and they're telling these young, these impressionable, these vulnerable Gentile Christians, no, 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 no. You need to be like me if you want to do this Jesus thing right. Right? Jesus was a Jew. Makes sense, right? You got to be like me. You got to follow this. You know, maybe, maybe faith in Jesus isn't quite enough. Maybe you need more. And this is what gets Paul's blood boiling. And the problem is, these Galatian Christians, they've bought into it. They've bought in that, no, the gospel of Jesus, no, the promise that Jesus saves you by faith, they bought in that that's not really enough. That's not really enough to save me. Paul, I, can't, I, don't, I don't feel that that's enough. And these, these Jewish Christian teachers, guys who are on our side, they're telling me that they're offering me something that can make me assure of that, that give me that assurance that I so desperately want. And Paul so, is upset and quite frankly, he's hurt by these Galatian Christians because they're putting the cart in front of the horse. It's not, that they're, it's not that they're completely wrong. Sometimes being completely wrong would be better off because it's easier to explain to people. It's that they're mostly wrong about what their beliefs are. The Galatians, while adopting all of this extra stuff, in reality, they've gone to the easy answer. They've gone to the easy side. I'll just, I'll just follow this list of rules. 
I'll just, I'll just have this checklist to make sure that I, so that I know and I can follow it easy. And I, I'll buy into this cultural framework that people are telling me to buy into. I'll buy into this because it's easy that way. I'll just, I'll just assimilate. I'll just adapt to the way everyone wants me to. You know, I got to tell you something. I don't like everything we do here as a church. That's, um, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of quirks about you know Park Lane, about church in Portland. That you know that my my you know dairy eating, corn fed, you know Midwest like respectability just kind of feels like, oh, I don't know, you know what I mean? Or should we really do it that way? Is that, is that really like, you know, the CRC way? Guys, I, I lived in Grand Rapids. I lived in the Midwest. I know what we're, we're supposed to do, right? And there's a, there's a couple of things that really kind of, I think, really, is this the way we should do it? And I say that not to say that, oh, look at me, Pastor Chad, the guy who just got out of seminary, Right? Who grew up and who grew up who for three years lived one mile away from our denominational headquarters? True story. I say that in a sense as a confession that I too have bought into this idea. I too, not as not as if we think of the story, our story today, the passage. If we think about Paul and the Galatian church. And we want to center ourselves in that story, in these characters. It's, I like to do that sometimes because it keeps me humble. I'm not Paul. I'm not even the Galatians. I'm the bad guys in the story, if I'm going to be honest. I'm those Jewish Christians who say, you know what? I know the best way to follow Jesus, and this is the way you need to do it. You need to adopt this cultural practice. You need to adopt. You need to fit into this culture here at Park Lane if you really want to be saved. You want to. You got. You got to make sure that you you take my Sunday school class where we talk about what it means to be a reformed Christian. That that's what you need to know if you want to be a good Christian. It's a temptation that I know I often fall into. And I know a lot, and I know there's some of us here who fall into that as well. We're like the Galatians. We're like the Jewish Christians. There is a certain culture that we have in this church. And sometimes, at least for myself, we can think, well, if they don't fit in here, are they really doing, are they really following the gospel? Are they, are they really saved? Do they really believe in Jesus? Right? You know, for, for me, for some of us, we oftentimes, we were like that fish. What's water? When we talk about culture, when we talk about our, the, the practices of our church, those of us who fit really well, and when we fit into this church culture, it doesn't seem like we're doing anything but just following the gospel. We're, we believe Jesus by faith. We believe that. But when we start to examine, when we start to, to, to step back and think about it, well, maybe I would say, maybe, maybe I would say that there are certain things 
that I like, that I would say is church. You know, maybe, maybe I do actually think that hymns are just a little bit, a little bit more spiritual than praise music. I mean, I'm, I'm one of the weird people who would actually say that at my age. But that's, right? We have these things. We take on our cultural identity, which we love, which, which even God loves. But we forget that we're putting the cart in front of the horse. That it's not the culture. It's not the law. It's not these practices that save us. It's not that they're bad. It's Christ that saves us. We don't need to fit into a particular culture in order to be saved. Just like the Galatian Christians, they don't need to fit into Judaism. They don't need to become Jewish. They don't need to follow all those restrictive laws in order to be Christian. And so Paul keeps talking and he keeps writing to them. And it's funny to me because have you ever tried... Or have you ever had an argument with someone who obviously had no idea what they were talking about, but they were insistent on it anyway? Yeah? Some of us. I, I, can, see, I can see those of you who have. Um, I think, and that to me, it feels like is happening in this passage. Like these Gentile Christians, these Christians that are not Jewish, were not raised anywhere near Jerusalem or the Jewish tradition, they're now turning to Paul and being like, well, what do you know about the Torah? And Paul's like, Sit down, okay? I studied this for years. Like, this was my job. I was a Torah scholar. I know the law backwards and forwards. Don't tell me about the law, is what Paul's saying. And so he starts flexing his Torah muscles in this passage, and he's reminding them that the law, this law that was given, it was given after the original promise that God made to Abraham. 430 years afterwards. So he's telling these Galatians, don't tell me about how important the law is. If it was so important, why wouldn't God give it at first? Why wouldn't he go to Abraham and say, and here's the law, this is what's going to save you. No, God doesn't do that. Because God, from the very beginning, if he, actually, if you want to go further than Paul, even before Abraham, God from the very beginning is a God of grace, a God of love, a God who knows his creation and knows that they're going to mess things up. And that's what Paul's saying. Is that's one of the reasons he gave the law, was to remind us of our sin it's one of the reasons, and he gave the law to remind us that we need him. And also to give us the law so that we can at least have some ideas of how maybe it's best to live our lives. Not to save us. The law doesn't save anybody. But Paul makes sure to point out the law, this, this, the law and all the culture that these Jewish Christians, they adopt that they think is like air they're breathing. That they don't even realize that this is a big deal, that this is even culture. It's not opposed to grace. It's not opposed to grace. It's just you've got to remember the order. Right? The law doesn't support Jesus. Jesus supports. 
Jesus fulfills the law. How many of you guys sang the song Father Abraham as a kid? Anybody? Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just... I love that song because you got to like... You got to just like flail around, right? Um, as a kid. So you know that song. As I got older, I started thinking about it. Wait, I actually am not a son of Abraham. I'm not Jewish. I actually don't fit with that song. But then I realized, actually even going deeper... We are. We are sons and daughters of Abraham. But not biologically speaking. And that's what Paul's pointing us to. He's pointing us that this promise that God made to Abraham, he talks about the seed, and that seed being Christ. The one who saves us. The one, for most of us here, brings us into that promise, that covenant, that agreement that God, that gracious agreement that God made with Abraham that he would be his family's God and that his family would be his people. That promise that he made to Abraham, God has has invited us into that as well. And it's not on the bounds of the culture we have, of the parents that we have. It's not because of any of those things, but it's instead because because of Christ, who was Jewish, who was an insider in that culture. He gives us a way in to be God's people. Through Christ, we are all children of Abraham, but more importantly, we're children of God. That to be said, it still does beg the question, and, and this being Reformation Day weekend, it begs the question, so why, what's the point of the law anyway? How do we understand the law anyway? Well, you know, I think for a lot of us, the law, we see it as this like, list of good rules that if you you know if you follow these God's going to you're going to make God happy and you should do it right none of us are following none of us are keeping kosher you know i bet a lot of people would eat at red lobster and eat shellfish in here i bet a lot of us would eat dairy and meat together i was in israel for a week and i remember the first thing that i did when i got back to israel was i bought a bacon cheeseburger because you can't have that in israel right you, you can't eat pork and you can't have dairy and meat together so i imagine a lot of us we're not thinking that that's one of the laws one of the rules that god's putting out that part of that culture that we should adopt as christian people I imagine a lot of us, though, we are wondering, but the law, the Ten Commandments, they're in the Bible. How do we apply these to our life? Well, like I shared before, when it comes to culture, there's there's some of us in here who we feel like culture is kind of like the water or the the air we breathe. We don't think about it. It sustains us. It may be helpful, but we don't think about it every day. We don't have to. But then there's other people who they know they're like a fish out of water. When they're breathing this air, it's not good for them. And they don't feel like they belong. 
And I think what we have to remind ourselves is that the law, the Ten Commandments, is kind of like that. It's something that God maybe gives to us. He gives to us to remind us that we are sinful. Okay? We get the law to remind ourselves that we are sinful. And to remind us that we're not perfect people. We don't have this all figured out. And it points us back to Jesus. It points us back to the One who does save us. The essential peace. The law doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. It points us back to Him. And so that when we're reminded that our foundation is in Christ, that our identity is found in Christ, ultimately, we can look at the, we can look at the law, we can look at the Ten Commandments with new lenses, right? I wear glasses. My eyes aren't that bad, but I do need them to see most things. Jeez, when, we, when, we, when we're reminded of the promises that Christ has given us, that He has saved us, by faith that's been instilled in us by the the Holy Spirit to believe Him. We can look at the law in a new way. We can realize that, oh, okay, this is why we do these things. This is why we appreciate these things. Why it's good to go and keep the Sabbath holy. Why it's good, not just because your mom says to honor and fight your father and mother. Why you shouldn't steal. It's not because we have to do these things, but it's because we want to live our life in gratitude for Him. And so when we turn away from just doing things or just assuming or not thinking about why we do things, and we begin to examine those assumptions, the reasons we do things, the reasons why God calls us to do them. And they're not based on seemingly nothing. They're based on a lot of things, but primarily because of what Christ has done for us. And the law allows us to focus on Jesus. Would you please pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Lord, we come to You We come to you, Father, because you created us. You created the culture we love. You created the culture that harms some people and we use to harm other people. And Father, we, we, we ask for that forgiveness. That we haven't been attentive to the reasons we believe things. We haven't been attentive to what we believe. We just say it's good and let that be that. But Jesus, we know that when we come to You, when You call us to come near to You, You've already been at work in our lives to give us faith, to set us free. To set us free and to help us better examine those things that we hold dear. Those things that we maybe didn't examine before. And so now, Holy Spirit, we we pray that we can continue that work in us. We can continue to examine ourselves every day. We can continue to die to our sinful ways and rise with Christ. And we can begin to use the Ten Commandments not as, not as absolute, not as the only thing, but as a way, and maybe the best way, to love and serve You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.